0: Chapter Nineteen of Kings, Queens, and Pawns An American Woman at the Front This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard Kings, Queens, and Pawns An American Woman at the Front by Mary Roberts Rinehart. Chapter Nineteen I Nibble Them i went into the trenches the captain was very proud of them they represent the latest fashion in trenches he explained smiling faintly it seems to me that i could easily have improved on the latest fashion the bottom was full of mud and water standing in the trench i could see over the side by making an effort the walls were wattled that is covered with an interlacing of faggot which made the sides dry but it was not for that reason only that the trenches were called the latest fashion. They were divided every fifteen feet or so by a bulwark of earth about two feet thick, round which extended a communication trench. The object of dividing these trenches in this manner is to limit the havoc of shells that drop into them, the captain explained. Without the earth bulwark, a shell can kill every man in the trench, in this way it can kill only eight. Now stand at the end of the trench. What do you see? What I saw was a barbed wire entanglement leading into a cul de sac. A rabbit trap, he said. They will come over the field there, and because they cannot cross the entanglement, they will follow it. It is built like a great letter V. And this is the point. The sun had gone down to a fairy death in the west. The guns were firing intermittently now and then from the poplar trees came the sharp ping of a rifle the evening breeze had sprung up ruffling the surface of the water and bringing afresh that ever-present and hideous odor of the battlefield behind us the trenches showed signs of activity as the darkness fell suddenly the rabbit-trap and the trench grew unspeakingly loathsome and hideous to me what a mockery this business of killing men no matter that beyond the canal there lurked the menace of a foe that had himself shown unspeakable barbarity and resource in plotting death no matter if the very odour that stank in my nostrils called loud for vengeance i thought of the german prisoners i had seen german wounded responding so readily to kindness and a smile i saw them driving across that open space at the behest of frantic officers who were obeying a guiding ambition from behind i saw them herded like cattle young men and boys and the fathers of families in that cruel rabbit trap and shot by men who in their turn were protecting their country and their homes i had in my employ a german gardener he had been a member of the household for years he has raised or helped raise the children has planted the trees and helped them like the children through their early weaknesses. All day long he works in the garden among the flowers. He coaxes and pets them, feeds them, moves them about in the sun. When guests arrive, it is Wilhelm's genial smile that greets them. When the small calamities of a household occur, it is Wilhelm's philosophy that shows us how to meet them. Wilhelm was a sergeant in the German army for five years. Now he is an American citizen, owning his own home rearing his children to a liberty his own children never knew but save for the accident of immigration wilhelm would today be in the german army he is not young but he is not old his arms and shoulders are mighty but for the accident of immigration then wilhelm working today in the sun among his delphiniums and his iris his climbing roses and flowering shrubs would be wearing the helmet of the invader for his vine-covered house he would have substituted a trench for his garden pick a german rifle for wilhelm was a faithful subject of germany while he remained there he is a socialist he does not believe in war live and help others to live is his motto but at the behest of the kaiser wilhelm too would have gone to his appointed place it was wilhelm then and others of his kind, that I thought as I stood in the end of the new-fashioned trench, looking at the rabbit-trap. There must be many Wilhelms in the German army, fathers, good citizens, kind men who had no thought of the place in the sun except for the planting of a garden, men who have followed the false gods of their country with the ardent blue eyes of supreme faith. I asked to be taken home. On the way to the machine we passed the Mitrières buried by the roadside, its location brought an argument among the officers. Strategically, it would be valuable for a time, but there was some question as to its position in view of a retirement by the French. I could not follow the argument. I did not try to. I was cold and tired, and the red sunset had turned to deep purple and gold. The guns had ceased. Over all the countryside brooded the dreadful peace of sheer exhaustion and weariness. And in the air, high overhead, a German plane sailed slowly home. Sentries halted us on the way back, holding high lanterns that set the bayonets of their guns to gleaming. Faces pressed to the glass, they surveyed us stolidly, making sure that we were as our passes described us. Long lines of marching men turned out to let us pass. As darkness settled down, the location of the German line as it encircled Ypres was plainly shown by floating fusées. in every hamlet reserves were lining up for the trenches dark masses of men with here and there a face thrown into relief as a match was held to light a cigarette open doors showed warm lamp-lit interiors and the glow of fires i sat back in the car and listened while the officers talked together they were speaking of general joffrey and his great ability of the confidence of the outcome of the war, and of his method, during those winter months when, with such steady fighting, there had been so little apparent movement. One of the officers told me that General Joffrey had put his winter tactics in three words, I nibble them. End of chapter 19